0: Alright. Well, speaking of inspiring, I have heard some amazing reports coming back from the youth conference that uh, our teens were at, teens, preteens, down at Urbana uh, over, the, over the past few days. I just got back yesterday, I think, and one of our older youth really had a great experience, and so yeah, I've asked him to come up and share. So, Ken, come on up. I gave him a minute, we'll see how he does. Yes,
1: and in case my, uh, here we go. Many of you know, who follow posts on Facebook that I put out, I've been a born-again Christian for 26 plus years. Last night, while chaperoning a group of youths from our church, I had a face-to-face encounter, or heart-to-heart encounter, with Jesus, my risen Savior. Many doubt that there is such a thing, and I was among them. But I can testify that there is such a thing and that I had that encounter with Jesus. During our worship time, we were all singing praises to God when an unstoppable shaking started in my feet and legs. I then experienced the most moving time in my life, total immersion in the presence of Jesus and my eyes being opened to the call on my life. Now, as many of you know, I'm a chaplain of the fire department. I've seen all kinds of stuff. I also do Project Hope, which is for... Uh, People who are suffering with PTSD, I've been trained in a whole bunch of stuff. But uh, have I been changed? Definitely. Renewed? Yes. Driven? More than ever. Uh, I studied Christian ministry to go into the ministry, and unfortunately I was denied a pastorship due to past divorce at the church we were attending. Now that I have a renewed sense of direction, increased desire to be aware of God's promptings and more willing to minister to all, that I encounter than ever before. No need to be scared of me. I'm better, more cheerful, encouraging, and loving than before, charged with the power of Jesus. So if you are hurting, scared, angry, um, seeking direction, I'm here for anyone who calls. And I would love to listen, hug, heal, and give assistance in any way I can. So, like I said, Ken Schneider and Facebook, That's what I looked like the other night.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Amen. Thank you. It's cool, huh? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I've told the story here more than a few times, I'm sure, about how I became a follower of Jesus, so I'm not going to tell it again here today. Uh, but in case you haven't heard it, don't worry, I'm sure I'll tell it again sometime. Uh, but what I have been thinking a lot about lately was what it was like when I first became a follower of Jesus. You know, this was in the 1970s, and it was the tail end of those Jesus Revolution days. Uh, watching that movie, The Jesus Revolution, a couple of times and talking about it, I think it just stirred up all those memories for me. This, this photo is an actual baptism from that time out on the beach in California uh, that they, kind of like what they depicted in the movie, much like what they depicted in the movie. Um, and while Madison, where I was living at the time, didn't see, you know, massive numbers of people like they did in California uh, being impacted by this, being swept up in what God was doing, it was still pretty amazing. Yeah, you know, the Holy Spirit was moving powerfully during that time in all sorts of ways, all sorts of places, you know, even in Madison, hundreds and hundreds of people were giving their lives to Jesus and being baptized and filled with the Spirit and having their lives radically changed. And I was one of them. Well, when I gave my life to Jesus, it wasn't about me becoming religious or starting to go to church. I had grown up in the church. And and being more or less religious, you know, doing that. So no, when I when I gave my life to Jesus, it was about embarking on an adventure. Uh, it was about knowing and loving and following Jesus and serving Jesus, and it was about making, <clears throat> excuse me, Jesus the center of my life, whatever that would mean. So within a year of beginning that adventure, I already knew that no matter what job I might have. My vocation would be some kind of ministry, kind of like Ken said. And, and I moved out of the dorms <clears throat> at UWM that after my freshman year into a house with 50 other Christian students. You know, I switched my major from pure science, I was going to be an oceanographer, biological oceanographer, but I switched to education because I thought that would be of more use in a ministry role. And then I asked Jesus for a wife who would be a partner for me in ministry. And pretty soon after that, I met Lisa. So I I told Jesus that I would go anywhere and do anything he wanted me to do. Go anywhere and do anything. Now, in my imagination back then, I'm pretty sure I thought that where Jesus would ask me to go and what he would ask me to do would look really amazing for me and everybody else. Probably worldwide recognition as God's great apostle as I single-handedly changed the world, right? All for the glory of Jesus, of course. Well, it turned out that Jesus was much more interested in changing me than he was in me changing the world. And so the adventure has been almost five decades of growing in the freedom of what it means to be a beloved child of God. And what an adventure that is, right? I'm convinced that Jesus wants to stir that up in all of us. He wants to stir up this hunger for that kind of adventure. Yet Jesus is inviting all of us into more and more of his freedom, and I think that's what the Holy Spirit wants to talk to us about again today as we continue looking at the book of Galatians. So are you ready? Ready. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We open ourselves to you. We invite your presence. We invite you to work in our lives and our hearts. I I pray that this would go beyond just hearing words that you would stir our hearts, Lord, and, and draw us into the adventure of that life with you further, Lord, that we would be able to let go of things that get in the way of that and follow you with all our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so Galatians 3, 23 to 29 to begin. says this, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith could be revealed. nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus, and if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Last week, Rhonda was teaching about how Jesus wants us to live in faith, not fear. And about how if we put ourselves under any kind of law, whether it's the law of Moses like the Galatians were doing again, or or just laws and rules that we come up with on our own, thinking that that's what's going to make us okay with God, we'll end up stuck in fear. Because whatever law we try to follow, we are always going to fall short, right? We'll never know if, if, if we're doing enough, if we're doing it well enough. A law might tell us the right thing to do, but it doesn't actually make us able to do it. So instead, Jesus says, trust me, believe me, follow me, receive the grace that will fill your life and change the way you live. Now, in this passage, Paul comes at it from another angle. In Roman households during Paul's time, there was often a slave to supervise and guard the children until they were about 15 years old. Any of you parents think maybe that's not such a bad idea? Could have been nice. Yeah. Well, Paul said that was the function for the law for Israel, or of the law for Israel. It, It supervised them, it guarded them, it told them what to do until Christ came. Now, verse 23 actually says it was until faith came. It says, until faith came, we were held captive under the law. And verse 25 says, now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. New Testament scholar M.T. Wright points out that the Greek word for faith can just as accurately be translated as faithfulness, and it should be in these verses. It's not that faith, like the ability to believe, didn't exist before Jesus showed up, right? It's that Christ came, and he was faithful to keep the whole law and do everything that God called him to do. He faithfully trusted God all the way to death and back, and so he was faithful to fulfill God's covenant. So, we were held captive under the law until faithfulness came in the person of Jesus. Christ himself did on behalf of Israel what Israel was never able to do for themselves. And once he did that, the law was no longer needed. It was like the child had grown up and no longer needed that guardian. He could now be faithful through trusting Jesus without the guardian. Well, if the covenant is fulfilled, what do you get? I don't know. (laughs) What you get is what the covenant promised. You get the promise. And if you really dig into the Old Testament scriptures, you'll discover that what was promised is the kingdom of God. The presence of God transforming all things so that we can know God and be with God and be full of fully human beings we were always meant to be, so we could enjoy God's peace and his joy and his love forever. That's the kingdom of God. The promise is that we would become sons and daughters of the king and therefore heirs to his kingdom, which we'll fully receive when we're resurrected like Jesus was. But we get the first installment, we get the down payment on that inheritance now. It's the Holy Spirit who fills us with God's life and empowers us to do what God wants so that his kingdom begins to break into our lives even now. And all because why? Well, because Jesus was faithful to fulfill the covenant all that's required of us is that we receive what Jesus did for us. Now, we, we, we put on Christ, like Paul would say, by being baptized and living as his disciples. We become part of God's family by putting our trust in Jesus and being baptized into it. Now, there's a good chance that verses 28 to 29 in that passage were part of what was prayed over new believers when they were being baptized in the church. I mean, if you could picture it, I mean, think of that, that photo I showed you again. You know, all those people being baptized in, in the ocean, and in and, and the time of of Paul when they were doing this, you know, you had all these different people, men and women and rich and poor, uh, different races, slaves and free, all being baptized together, like in that photo. And, and that as that's happening, someone says to them, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's ne- no male. There's no female, for you are all one now in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, You are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Amen? Yeah. There's a baptismal prayer. Maybe we'll try that this summer. So I want to invite you, though, if you've never done this, put your trust in Jesus, right? Become part of God's family. It is something we receive. And you just pray, Jesus, thank you for being faithful for me. Thank you for loving me so much that you came into this world and lived and died and rose again so that I could be a son or daughter of God. Forgive me for all the ways I have run from that or ignored that or rejected that. I just received your grace and your mercy and your love. Come into my life, Jesus. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. I surrender my life to you. Right? Amen. And if you pray that for the first time, come and tell me so we can baptize you in August at our church in the park. Amen? Keep going. Galatians 4, 1 to 7 says this, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he's the owner of everything And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through Christ. There's a lot in that passage, right? Yeah, <clears throat> you know, it's a passage about the kind of life we're called to live as followers of Jesus. And it's that life of adventure that I talked about. It's growing in the freedom that we have as beloved sons and daughters of God. And I'm going to get to this guy. I forgot to move where the slide came up. Um, (laughs) But to grow in that life, we have to know, not just in our head, but in our heart of hearts, we have to know what Jesus has done for us. It has to impact us at that level. We have to believe and we have to trust What Jesus says about the inheritance that is ours. So this guy, George MacDonald, was a Scottish author and pastor who lived back in the 1800s. He was not very successful as a pastor, and so he depended on his writing for his income to support his family of 11 children. Well, MacDonald was a prolific writer. He probably had to be to support a family of 11 children, right? Uh, and he's best known for his fairy tales and, and fantasy novels, books like Lilith and Fantasties, if you've heard of those, or The Light Princess is a fairly known, well-known one. Um, authors like C.S. Lewis and, and uh, J.R. Tolkien, who wrote The Hobbit series, and, and many others credit McDonald with shaping their work. He was their influencer, but he also wrote a lot of novels in which the hero or the heroine would get stuck in financial uh, and family problems that seemed to have no solution. I read a bunch of these books back in like the 80s, long time ago. They're, they're great novels. Uh, and always near the end of the novel, they would discover that some long forgotten relative had left them a fortune and suddenly everything was wonderful. <laughs> Probably what McDonald was dreaming of, right? <laughs> yeah. But that's actually pretty close to what Paul says is the story of what happened to us in Christ. It's a story about people who are going to receive a huge inheritance but are totally unaware of it. The language Paul uses in Galatians is Exodus language. It's about being redeemed from slavery, being heirs of God. Now, we know the Exodus story, right? We, we know how Israel was enslaved in Egypt until God sent Moses to deliver them and redeem them from their slavery. Well, this whole part about the law being their guardian then, which was a good thing, and yet at the same time kept them as slaves, that's kind of confusing, isn't it? I, th- I think it is as you read through there. But I think what Paul is saying is that since the Israelites couldn't do everything that the law required, They were never able to receive their full inheritance. In fact, it seems like they lost sight of what that inheritance really is. They became unaware that it was even out there. And they settled for this life under the law. The kingdom of God was beyond their grasp. And so they were stuck. They were still slaves in in sin and fear and death. And that part about the elementary principles of the world is also a little bit confusing. I mean, what are those supposed to be, right? Well, what many Bible scholars think the phrase refers to is what Paul calls, in other places, in the book of Ephesians, the principalities and powers. These are the the evil spiritual beings which are the real power behind any kind of idol, that we worship, whether that's a little statue or something like money, sex, or power. It's like the world is really weirder than we think, right? See, when we worship those idols, when we devote our lives to them, trusting them to provide what we want or need, we become enslaved, Paul's saying, To those spiritual powers and to all of the fear, all of the the, uh, sin, all of the the ways they bring death into our lives, all of that that goes with them. And so the non-Jewish people, you know, those Gentiles who had worshiped idols, were also enslaved. And when you're enslaved like that, you can't even imagine that another way of life is possible. It seems to me that what Paul is saying, that much like in the George MacDonald novels, everyone has this huge inheritance waiting for them, the kingdom of God. But because everyone was stuck in their slavery, not only could they not receive the inheritance, they didn't even know it was out there for them anymore. They just settled for life as they knew it. And I think that's still true for a lot of us today. We settle. People are stuck in fears, or stuck in anxieties, or're stuck in passions and sins, and, and we assume, well, this is just the way life is. I just have to slug through life. It's all I can hope for. See, slavery makes you hopeless. But Jesus came to set us free. All of us, as human beings are wired for freedom. You know We're wired to be free from want free from fear, free from anxiety, free from loneliness, free from failure, free even from death. We all want that freedom. Well, that kind of freedom is a gift from God. Freedom is what we receive from God, who is himself totally free. It's another way of describing our inheritance. True freedom is found in the kingdom of God. And since it's a gift from God, it's not something we can take for ourselves. It can only be received. But as Eugene Peterson writes in his book, Traveling Light, when we are stuck in slavery, we see freedom as something that's out there, beyond us, beyond our grasp, and so we think we have to take it. Our world, the culture that we live in, places a high value on taking. You know, we're told we need to assert ourselves and grab for all of life and take what we deserve and escape the boundaries of morality, escape the tedium and the responsibilities of marriage and family, escape the church, escape the government... Not let anybody tell me what to do about anything. I need to take my freedom. It's out there. We must take it, fight it, scrabble for it, exhaust ourselves to get it if necessary. But Paul says, no, real freedom is right here. And it's yours to receive as a gift. The thing is, even if we're Christians, if we don't fully realize who we are in Christ. You know, if we don't grasp in our heart of hearts what Jesus has done for us, you know, if we don't trust in the inheritance that's ours, we will continue to live as slaves. And slaves live like takers rather than receivers. That's what happened in Galatia. They were going back to being takers. And I think it happens all the time here as well. But we don't have to live like that because Jesus has set us free. We've been set free from slavery and have been adopted as sons and daughters of God. We've been set free to receive our inheritance, the kingdom of God. And in the kingdom of God, we don't have to be takers. We're free to give instead of needing to take out of that fear of not having enough. We're free to forgive rather than needing to get even. You know, we're free to be last instead of first. We're free to turn the other cheek rather than seek vengeance. We're free to not live a life of anxiety and fear. We're free to enjoy the righteousness, peace, and joy of God. We're free to love God and love others, period. Paul writes that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. He's telling us the fullness of time has come. In other words, the freedom Jesus has given us is not something far off in the future that maybe, hopefully, someday we can begin to experience. It is right now. We don't have to live like slaves, like takers. We're already free to live as receivers. And because we're sons and daughters, we'll one day inherit the fullness of God's kingdom God has already sent His down payment, the Spirit of His Son, into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The presence of God is already in us and with us, providing us with that intimate connection with God who will guide us and protect us and transform us. God's presence sets us free now to live as receivers of His life and grace as we look forward to enjoying the fullness of God's kingdom in the new creation. See, I think this is what I caught a glimpse of when I first gave my life to Jesus. It's like it's a whole other world, right? A whole other way of living that opened up for me. I was sold. And and while I can see it more clearly some days than others, right, I still believe it with all my heart. And I still want it with all my heart. I, I want to have this vision shape my life. So my question for both you and for me is, you know, how are you living? How are you living? Are you living like sons and daughters or like slaves? Or another way to put that would be, are you living as a taker or a receiver? Sons and daughters of God know who they are. They know they're loved and cared for. Uh, sons and daughters know that the inheritance of the kingdom is theirs. It's guaranteed. And so sons and daughters are free to live as receivers rather than takers. And they're free to do that right now. Now, I'd like to think I'd done pretty well as living, in living as a receiver over the years. But, but the truth is, if I'm honest, much of the time I'm more of a taker. Um, I, I see, have seen that especially in my relationship to leading this church. You know, just to give you an example, all, all too often I have lived under the pressure of thinking that the growth and the financial health of our church was all up to me, right? Especially in the early years, but still sometimes now. As if I have to make things happen, which is a kind of taking, right? You get that? That's a kind of taking rather than simply trust and receive what God has for us. And it's not like I don't have any responsibility, but, but what, if what I'm experiencing is stress and anxiety and worry and frustration, that shows I'm living as a taker. It should be a clue for all of us. If I'm living as a giver, what I'll experience is peace and joy and the life of the kingdom. And that can be applied to every area of our life. Another clue about if I'm living as a a giver or a taker comes when I'm working on something like like a sermon in my office and someone unexpectedly drops in to talk to me. (laughs) There she is, Rhonda. (laughs) Erica, I'm thinking of you. Yeah, right. Now, if I'm living as a taker, in that moment, I think, my time is limited. I have to hang on to it. I have to protect it in order to get done what I need to get done, right? And, and so while I may look calm on the outside, because I can do that pretty well, when the person drops in, I'm really stressed out and anxious on the inside. But if I'm living as a receiver, well, then I can receive whatever Jesus brings into my life during the day, even if it seems like an interruption trusting that Jesus will supply all I need to do everything he wants me to do. And that applies to everything, right? See, if I'm living as a receiver, therefore I am much more able to love others well and be present to them instead of focused on my lack of time, perceived lack of time. So are you living as a taker or a receiver? The freedom Christ won for us is the freedom to be receivers. We are free to receive God's grace and mercy. We're free to receive God's forgiveness. We're free to receive his love and his life. Receiving is a posture of trust. We're free to receive because we trust the giver. Not because everything always works out the way we want it to. Not because we always have everything or get everything that we think we need or want or deserve. But we trust the giver because he loves us so much that he became one of us and died for us and rose from the dead to redeem us from our slavery. We trust the giver because we're sons and daughters, not slaves. So are you living as a slave or a son? Are you living as a taker or a receiver? See, Paul was incredulous that these Galatian believers who had tasted the freedom that was theirs in Christ were willingly going back to living as slaves by putting themselves under the law again. I suspect Paul might be just as incredulous as he looks at us 21st century Christians and sees us scrabbling through this life trying to take whatever we can. So how do we grow as living as receivers? I really wish there was a three-step formula I could give you for that. But there is not. Our freedom is a gift that comes from being sons and daughters of God filled with the Holy Spirit who can cry out, Abba, Father, out of that place of intimacy. So our freedom grows as our intimacy with God grows. And As we spend time with Him in prayer and in the Scriptures and in silence and in worship, Our freedom grows as we practice doing what freedom looks like by being generous, being forgiving, being loving. Our freedom grows from our intimacy with and our obedience to God. That's how we grow as receivers, and it's a lifelong journey. But Jesus is inviting us to be receivers. A couple of weeks ago, I was praying, and I sensed Jesus asking me a question. He asked me, are you still willing to go anywhere and do anything I ask you to do? And are you willing to do that even if it doesn't look like much, (laughs) It doesn't make you look great. In other words, he was asking me, am I still willing to live as a receiver, receiving whatever he brings my way trusting that it's all a part of his love for me, trusting that it's all part of shaping me, preparing me to receive the fullness of his inheritance. I said, yes, what else am I going to say, right? I want to keep growing in this. So, question to take we did through the week, are you living as a taker or a receiver? Amen? Yeah. So, one way we live as receivers is through receiving the Lord's Supper each week. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst.